Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Living Astrology with Janet Hickox. It's time to grab your cup of coffee or your tea, sit back, and we're going to chat today about not astrology. <laughs> today, we're going to talk about the gift of shift. And as you can see, I have a guest sitting here with me. I would love to introduce you to Anne Papiotti. Did I just say that right, Anne? You did, Janet. Very good. Oh, I love it. All right. So Anne Papayati has endured some of life's most brutal blows. I'm right there with you, sister. Her college best friend deliberately stealing her high school boyfriend, the loss of an infant child just shortly after he was thought to be out of danger, a belligerent and abusive husband, a child born with epilepsy, a family suicide, being bitten by a poisonous snake that resulted in months of chronic illness before being diagnosed relinquishing a cherished, cherished foster teen whose actions threatened Anne's family and much more. And despite them all, Anne found the gift hidden within each of these experiences, the gift of choice in how to respond to the challenge. Anne, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. You, you know, when I read this opening, that opening paragraph is what called me in to talk to you today because I know you know, I do astrology. I don't know how familiar you are with that. I also do human design and gene keys. And I know that one of the things that I talk about with my listeners and with my clients all the time is the idea of the choice we have in either reacting when life throws us stuff or in responding. So we talk a lot about this. And so the book, The Gift of Shift, is near and dear to my heart. I mean, I, I read this book from cover to cover. I was going to do some of the work in it, but I decided I didn't want to do that yet. I didn't want to do that on the fly. I wanted to do that when I had time to sit with it. Mm -hmm. So you have a co-author with this, Tracy McDonald. Yes. And how did you and Tracy come up with this idea for this book? What was going on? So Tracy and I actually met at a coach training event we were both living in Canada and we, we signed up for this event in Miami. So we obviously <laughs> we were both looking for the, the sunshine and we just, oh, yes. we just gravitated to one another and became steadfast friends first, but then collaborators. And we actually started creating content together and, and create a workshop by the title of the gift of shift. And then years later, word created this book. And the idea of the book was to share our personal stories in the goal of inspiring others to share their own. So the goal was to, to not that everyone would have the same story by any means, but they would have experienced that theme in their life. So we have 12 stories, 12 common themes from betrayal to to grief, to finding courage, to clinging to hope at some point in life, to being true to yourself. So at, through our stories, we, hope, we, we recognize that people hear their truth sometimes in someone else's story. And after each story, we have five coaching questions for the reader to then self-reflect on how the theme has played out in their own life. And the goal is for them to then recognize a strength or a character trait that they've either gotten through that story in their yeah. life. And how can they tap into that now to overcome a current challenge 
or recognize, you know what, I'm still stuck in that story in my life. And, and, you know, and use these questions then to help kind of be an outline to help them start processing the emotion that's keeping them stuck so they can move through it. And then there's space in the book then for people to journal their own story so that because when we release it, we start moving through it. It's beautifully laid out. So tell us about the intention, of, because the design of this book is so unique, yes. I think. I mean, yeah. uh, everything looks like it's a gift, yeah. and you're unwrapping the gift, and I love that. Uh, so how did you guys come up with this, or you girls come up with this? It, it was just the, the two of us brainstorming. When you, If you want to think of astrology, hey, Tracy is, I believe, a Taurus, and I'm a Capricorn, so we're both very... Practical and creative and creative. There you go. So I think the two of us together, just, I think there's power of two. And the, the fact that we sat down and we said, how can we help people together in a greater way? We started writing this in January of 2020. So pre pandemic, Mm. by the time it published, it was in the pandemic. So I think we were just, the inspiration came and we realized that, that people sometimes become overwhelmed in self-help books. They're maybe too academic sometimes and people give up, they get started, they get inspired, but then they give up because they, it's too much. They don't see the how to help themselves. They kind of get the, the scholarly a- aspect of it, but how to apply it. And we thought but, but through story, people hear their truth and they'll go, me too. You know, it's that whole me too movement. That happened to me. (laughs) Yeah, you identify with it. You identify, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, every part of this was relatable. So you you have a face page where you have a little uh, blurb um, and then you have, well, this is one of Tracy's stories. I should probably open up to one of yours. Okay, so here we have (laughs) the the gift over here on this side, and you've got your little um, bow with with your name in it, and then the story. What I really loved about it, Anne, was that the stories were not like so long that you started getting lost in the story, like you were just saying. (laughs) And then you go right to unwrapping the gift through the coaching questions. Yes. And uh, then the space to write the story. And then you also have uh, a little quote that comes up, you know, with the story that you're, you're talking about. So I think in that respect, it was such a unique layout. And I wanted to read it because I identified with this idea of shifting these emotional issues that are going on in our life. But I know writing stories like this must have been pretty challenging. What was the biggest challenge for you girls doing this? I think sharing um, sharing our vulnerabilities in writing. I've I've led support groups for 25 years for separation and divorce. And I've dealt with a lot of grief in my life, a lot of loss and transition and triumph. But uh, sharing my stories verbally and in group settings live has just been part of what I do. But when you put them in writing, I think there's a new vulnerability to that. And so while that was new for me, it was also very new for Tracy as well. So it became a growth opportunity for both of us. And while, like you said, the stories are short, certainly not every detail of of our experiences are there, but we wanted to share enough for people to to relate to the emotion and how we shifted from sort of powerless, negative 
ways of thinking and feeling and showing up in life to powerful and positive states of, of thinking and feeling and being in life. And just so we had to give enough without giving too much of, you know, about us, but, but enough in, in finding that place of vulnerability to do that and, um, and balance it. So I think that was the hardest part. And so we, we had people close to us and people we didn't know also read it to make sure we found the right balance. And I, and I think we, we found the recipe. I think you, yeah, I think you really did because I got enough out of the story that I didn't necessarily have to have more. I mean, for example, the story of your divorce, the abusive husband. And I mean, there, there was so much more there. I could just tell in the way that you're telling the story. I mean, you don't come to it just, you know, in that moment, but you gave enough for us to get the picture that this was an ongoing problem. And today was the day when you were going to stop that you were going to shift this uh, and we're going to get give you a moment in a little bit to talk more about that uh, because this is the story about grit, right? The, yeah. the grit, yeah. So um, so I, I think you guys did. You struck this really nice balance without having to go diving into every detail of what was happening. You gave us enough to be able to say, oh, I can identify with that. Even though, you know, I've never had that kind of specific problem. I, I have friends or I have relatives that have been in that situation and I got enough out of that. So I'm wondering then, you know, out of the chapters that you wrote, which one might have been the hardest for you to write? That's an interesting question because I think a lot of people would would assume that it was the gift of Charlie Brown, which is the one about losing my child. But it wasn't because I love speaking of him and I love to to remember him and to share him. And because my life's work is helping people really through grief, loss of any kind, that mm-hmm. his story has is beautiful to me because I went from the bottom and the depths of the depth to such a wonderful place of finding meaning and purpose in his life that that, that I found joy uh, in and a meaning and for his short little life lived, uh, that it's a beautiful story. So really the hardest one, Janet, was the gift of Jomo, the joy of missing. (laughs) (laughs) By the time I got to writing that one, the pandemic had hit and Mm. everyone was going through a sense of loss at the same time on some level. And to see the the world experiencing, you know, the, the same storm at the same time, I was struggling. I knew I needed to write something about that. And Tracy asked me a simple question that reminded me, she said, remember, you know, you used to tell me about what you went through when you gave up your career. She said, write about that. I went, oh yeah. Okay. That was a FOMO JOMO moment. And I can relate that back to, to what we're all going through with the pandemic. And, and so I did. So that one was just the hardest for me to sort of get out and really recognize what am I feeling? And I think a lot of people do that. Am I experiencing joy with this? Yay. I get to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> or that is would it be me? Yay. <laughs> or I have to stay home. I'm stuck at home. And I think we went, went through that. 
I'm just uh, typing out to my listeners right now what JOMO and FOMO mean because yes. <laughs> I, I looked at those and I went, what the heck does that mean? And oh. I couldn't wait to finally I found it. So yeah. FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yes. And JOMO, the joy of missing out. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I, you know, I, I totally can relate to that story, even though. Uh, I, I mean, I, I had um, a, a moment like that in my own life where my uh, youngest daughter had uh, attempted suicide. And I thought, is it worth it anymore to stay as a career person? Or is it time for me to really come home and be with the kids? I had four kids. She was the second oldest. And I had two younger kids watching, you know, what's going on here. And uh there was that fear of what was that guy going to be missing out? First of all, a paycheck, right? Yes. There's that yeah. part. And uh, the, the adult time, you know, the feeling, uh, you know, professional or, you know, having my own uh, thing to go to and to do. So there was a lot of fear there. Yes. But on the other hand, the whole joyful moment there was then I'm here for every moment of my kids' lives except when they were at school. But even then I could participate in school. And I think you even bring that up in that story. That's right. That's right. And, and it really, it ends up being, it truly is a mindset and it's choice. As you were saying at the beginning of the show, it's the power of choice. That's mm. the greatest gift we have. And it's when we can choose a di the perspective that's most empowering and positive for us so that we can experience life in the best way. Yeah, absolutely. There was uh, a story, one of the first stories, and I'm not sure if it was yours or Tracy's about betrayal. Was that your story? My story, yes. So, I mean, betrayal, that is a huge thing that I'm sure every one of the listeners have um, probably experienced in their life in some way. Yes. Tell us about, tell me about that story and how shifting your perspective helped with that. Absolutely. I do think Everyone in life has experienced betrayal on some level from someone or something. And betrayal is one of the most hurtful human experiences because it turns our life upside down. Mm. Everything we thought we knew is now obliterated. And when, when we lose trust, it's very, very difficult to rebuild. It's always kind of rebuilt on sand with everyone else after the, you know, a loss of trust. And yeah. so it affects future relationships and, 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 and self-trust is gone because you don't know who to trust. You don't trust yourself in who to trust. So it, it's a very kind of domino effect after you've experienced betrayal. In, in my situation, it was a, a, my best friend at university and it was a very kind of manipulative manipulative uh, betrayal that the betrayal happened in other ways before it was to go after the love of my life at the time. Right. And so even though he and I had broken up, she knew my heart. He and I broke up with the hopes of coming back together. And it was one thing, one thing, one thing. And then after him. And so I would have given her anything, possibly even him. I don't know. But <laughs> If she'd only asked. If she'd only asked. <laughs> but it wasn't about him. It seemed to be a deliberate, um, you know, step-by-step step to kind of hurt me. So when I look back at it and I had people telling me, she's really not your friend, but I defended her. I was very loyal and 
and um, I was a good friend. But then after that, I doubted myself. So the lesson in the story was that I had to learn that what anybody else says or does is about them. It's not about you, but I made it about me. So the, the betrayal, what happened, happened, but I allowed it to continue to happen. I allowed the trauma to continue for a long, long time because I started self-betraying. I lost myself. I lost, you know, the two most important people to me, my closest friends, and I lost them to one another. And that hurt, but I'm the one who continued the hurt, keeping the wound open by self-betraying, overeating, over-drinking, underperforming, underachieving. And as a Capricorn, that was, <laughs> that was losing myself. That was losing my true nature and denying myself and, and truly not showing up for life. And so by doing so, I would hid from life. You know, I, I, I hid, it was like Eve behind the fig leaf. You know, I was like, I was just hiding from, yeah from, from my, my true self. And by doing so I self-sabotaged and created the pain and the trauma to keep going. I had to finally rise up and say, that's not about, it wasn't me. It's not that I wasn't a good enough friend or not that I, that I wasn't loyal or, or that I did something. I did not cause this. I did not do this. And I had to start believing in myself again and, and stop hiding behind masks because I started achieving again. I started moving forward in life, but those were masks. And eventually, <laughs> yep. eventually I had to learn the ultimate lesson was um, that it wasn't about me at all. And is this the story of the Band-Aid, right? Where you're yes. talking about that you needed a Band-Aid so that, okay. it, that it would allow the, the wound to heal. Yes. Uh, or to come to a scar. Tell us, tell me, because yes. you make a really interesting connection with that concept. And it's, and it's not about minimizing the hurt, you know, like right. stick right. on it, move on. It's about, you can't keep picking at a wound. You have to stop. You know, I was a walking, talking wound, you know, <laughs> I was a walking, talking wound. And if we just keep it open. I was exposing myself to the music, to the places, to the other people that were involved in this. And so my mind kept ruminating the loss. So my wound was open. So by the, the metaphor, the bandaid for me was I had to stop the sunburn. You know, I had to stop exposing myself to everything. So I had to put a bandaid on it. So I stopped looking at it, meaning I stopped in today's times. That would mean I'd, I would have to probably get off social media. Exactly. I was just thinking that. I would have to maybe, I'd probably have to weed out my garden of other friends, the people who kept talking about it to me. Oh, that's, I can't believe they, they did that to you. I, you know, they keep blah, the blah, story blah. alive. Right. And then you alive. keep feeling the pain. And yes, exactly. So all of that I had to do. I ended up changing universities. I kind of, you know, I had to change environments. I had to change and when I did that, I'd start focusing on self-care. I remember aerobics were big back then. You and I were singing on the phone earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I started, you know, doing aerobics and I started doing things. I changed up my life a bit to foster healing. And that meant, so the Band-Aid meant I wasn't looking at it. I wasn't picking at it. I wasn't allowing 
salt to be poured on it from external sources. And so at the end of the day, we have to cooperate with healing. Time helps, but you have to cooperate with time. You have to cooperate with time. Time heals all wounds. We have a lot of little things that we say that kind Mm -hmm. of tell us that um, things need time. And in a way, uh, I, I mean, a lot of times we think about Band-Aids as not a good thing, right, to cover up something as opposed to exposing it to the air and so forth. But I got the metaphor in this case that, you know, if you kept it open, you were, you know, it's like when you get a cut in the kitchen, like I'm real good at cutting my fingers when I'm cutting up something. And then it seems like every time you turn around, you're hitting that cut, you're getting salt in that cut, or you're, you know, and it just doesn't heal until you finally wrap it. And you go, okay, now I know I have this thing on my finger. Yes. Um, so I, I get that metaphor. You're not bandaging it up to ignore it or to make it go away, but just to allow it the space and the time to heal. That's it. Protect it long enough space and time. And then you take the Band-Aid off. You don't let it be a crutch. Take it off and you go, wow, healing's happening. Oh, it's closed up. It's not so vulnerable to being reopened anymore. And then you find you can move on. And I think I, the quote I used in that chapter was from Oprah about let turn your wounds into wisdom, I believe. Yeah. But yeah. And then, and that's, that was my, what I did. Yeah. Turn your wounds into wisdom by Oprah Winfrey. Now there was also something else you found out about this here about how you betray yourself. Yes. Oh my goodness. And that's really, that's what I did because I mean, think about our, our inner voice, right? I just continued, as I said, what, what happened happened. And by the way, this couple is still together. It was meant to be obviously, you know, it's just the way it happened was so hurtful, but I'm the one that continued the pain. They didn't continue hurting me. I did. I did that by betraying my true nature and who I was rather than experiencing the pain, acknowledging and validating it hurt and the loss of these two important people in my life, the loss of friendship, you know, I think grieving is, is underrated. Grieving is important. I needed to go through a grieving process for the loss of the people, the, the, the loss of the friendships, the loss of the future that I expected to have with, with this young man. I needed to grieve my dream. You know, I need to grieve all that in a healthy way and move forward. So I, before I moved forward. You know, and I sort of grieving, I took on the burden of the of the responsibility. So one, the first thing I did was I was victimized by it. Right. And then in conflict with it. So I got stuck in. I see, you know, on your screen, you have the infinity sign. With my hummingbird infinity. I love the hummingbird. Okay. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> One infinity that we can get stuck in often in our thought life is the infinity of victim and conflict. Mm-hmm. And this is a negative energetic loop of, of thoughts that keeps the, you know, the blinders on, so to speak, where all we see, we don't see options. We don't take responsibility for changing our life and our, despite our circumstances or changing how we experience things or learning, turning, finding wisdom. We get stuck in, in helpless, hopeless, defeated. I'm not 
worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not whatever. Or we get move over to the other side, conflict with it. I can't believe they did that to me. I'm, I, I'm angry. Now that's more powerful. Yeah. And, and we all have a default. We either kind of go to victim or conflict when something stressful happens to us. It's not that it, that we shouldn't, or that's a natural, you know, that's the, a, a, you know, that's that sort of survival instinct that we go. It's kind of the first step. I mean, you know, when you're, when we have that hit like that. Yeah, we have the hit, we're going to go there. That's, that's that, you know, kind of primitive part of our brain. We can't change that. We're going to go there. Do we, you know, fight, flight or freeze? We're going to go there. But what matters is, and as we develop self-mastery is how long do we stay there? Right. Do you get hypnotized by the victim or conflict and yes. stay in that? Or do you wake up and choose, and choose. to move um, into healing or releasing or whatever it is that's called for in the situation? That's right. And that's the shift. So how long before I shift? And that so step one is awareness mm-hmm. that I'm there. OK, I've, I've gone there that hurt or or I'm angry about that or whatever it is. But step one is awareness. I'm there. Step two is, okay, let me pause a moment so that I can, as you said, respond because the natural instinct is to react, which puts us in one of those two places, victim or conflict. That's where I'm at. Now, before I take action on that thought and feeling, let me pause. There's power in pausing because that's what allows us to come out of that hijacked brain area and Take that deep breath. The breath changes everything. That allows us literally to switch to the parasympathetic nervous system. And now we have options. Now we can literally choose. So powerful, right? And, you know, we talk a lot in the metaphysical world about free will. Um, And truly our free will, I've come to find out, is our choices in every moment. It's not that we can uh, necessarily put ourselves out there and, you know, choose, um, you know, what kinds of things are going to happen to us because somehow things happen to us. But in the in the happening of something, a betrayal, a death, an injury, uh, whatever, we get to choose how we're going to respond. Uh, But I I don't want people to think, for example, that like I lost my son this summer. He's 29 years old and an impulsive suicide. It was devastating. And I remember the very next day after the shock, I mean, I don't know if the shock has even gone yet, but after, you know, the, the most critical part choosing, I looked at my husband and I said, this will not break us. Yeah. Right. There was that choice. This will not break us. And I said that to the rest of my family, this will not separate us. This will bring us together. And I have maintained that every day since Brian died. Yeah. If it's just a text in the morning uh, that says, I love you. If it, uh, you know, it, it was, it's an extraordinary journey from tragedy to where we are now. Um, and you have a story very similar to that. Not a 29 year old son, a baby, but still tell us a little bit about that. In a way that hopefully, you know, people understand that we can turn these things around. Absolutely. First of all, something you said that's so key. And first of all, I'm, I'm, I am so sorry for the loss of your, 
your son. The something you said every day, it's a choice. Yeah. It, it, you have to re-choose that every day. And there may be days that it's more difficult than others. Oh yeah. Reading your book yesterday was a difficult day. I'm, I, I don't doubt that. But when we can find meaning and purpose, and this is one of those things about getting stuck in the loop of the victim in conflict, because how easy is it to be victimized or in conflict when we lose a child? Right. Oh. Right. You know, why me? Why my son? Why now? What, 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 what? And then what could I have done differently? Yes. How did I fail him? How on and I, on and on and on and on. Yes. yes. Again, then we make it about us, right? Because we, we're victimized by their, their choice. Again, from the betrayal story, the lesson I learned, what anyone says or does is about them. This was his experience and, and this was his choice. And even though, and I had a sister-in-law that I lost to suicide. And I went through all this again, and I went through the same questions. What could I have done? What did I not do? What did I not see? What did I not advocate for? What did I miss? And what would we have to move through that grieving process? This is part of it. That's the bargaining. (laughs) (laughs) If only I had called him one more time. I mean, yes, it's the, all that, all that. So to recognize that that's a natural part of it to know that it's because we love them so greatly that we can hurt so deeply. Again, it's about not getting stuck there and it's to move up that to truly love them. It's to be able to look up from that depth from victim in conflict, because that's not serving us or them. Yes. To say, how can I love better because of them? How can I love greater? And I, what you said this will not break us. This will bring us closer together is already honoring him. That's how I see yeah. it. Already honoring him. And you did a similar thing. I mean, you took your, your infant son's death. That mm-hmm. was kind of shocking too. I mean, yes. I, I also, my older son uh, was a neonatal baby. I mean, he, he was six weeks early and was in that whole situation. So again, my heart was like connected with you there, that whole, you know, beautiful, sort of uh, relationship that you build with the nurses and the doctors in that um, uh, department. And then your next experience with the surgeon that was going to, you know, fix the problem and how cold and unfeeling that was. And I love how you took that whole experience as devastating as it was and turned it around and Tell us a little bit about how that happened, because you you did something you may you found meaning and made something happen out of your son's death. Thank you. Yes, it had had been coddled and loved, felt love and felt this child that was born that did not look like my expectations. We have to let go of expectations. Right. When we have a, a preemie, not the Gerber baby. You know, this child had no fat on him. He he looked like you know, just a, a larger kin doll, so to speak, you know, yeah. and I was not what I expected. And I learned a lot that these nurses in the NICU and the neonatologists who were just tr- 
their words and their, their loving, their loving language and just how they treated him was so normal that I felt he was normal. And the things he overcame in his short life that he wasn't expected to, you know, no head bleed, no, you know, every, he was growing, he was doing, everything was going well until it wasn't. And when they transported him to a different hospital for surgery, because he had developed uh, intestinal complications, I was expecting the same. And that's not what I encountered. You know, it was just a bigger hospital, a lot going on and alarms and, you know, a shift change for the nurses and the nurse setting him up was, you know, mad that she had to prep another baby. And it was, so it started like this. And, and then the, the surgeon was, and, and I, I'm told there's no better surgeon. Nobody would have chosen a better surgeon to do the surgery, but unfortunately the outcome was, was that there, he, my child would not survive, but the way he told us lacked compassion, lacked, um, lacked any connection Lacked humanity, if you ask me. I mean, humanity, right? Exactly. So that was that was like a, a a second devastation to the to the words that that my son was not going to survive. And but what happened after that was, and this is part of that when we're willing to look up. You know, think about it. if you look down at your feet, your vision is very limited. But if you just look up your peripheral periphery is much larger. Right. And what happened was one of the very caring neonatologists who worked at both hospitals and had overseen the care of, of our son asked me if I'd be willing to come and speak to a group of resident intern pediatricians. And I like, how can I do that? You know, I don't know. Who am I to be able to speak to them? Yes. Yeah. Who am I? All of that stuff. And, about my son's experience. And there was no um, bedside manner being taught, at least at the time. Mm-hmm. And she wanted me to speak about the experience of how we were addressed. And I thought, oh, but also just to, sh- to share the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Right? right. And, and I said, yes. And this is, this is what I would encourage people to do. Say yes to opportunities to come across your path, because I did not know that that was going to be where I found meaning for my son's life. But what happened was that in so doing and in sharing his story, what I recognized was these 60, 70, however many uh, there were in attendance, were going to go on and touch how many other people. So again, the power of story, right? Right. Remembering my son's story, perhaps when they're exhausted, when they're tired, when they have to tell how many families in a day that their child won't make it yeah, and need to be able to go home and sleep at night. And I didn't judge this surgeon because I didn't know his story either, but, but I said, I didn't need him to hold my hand. I did not need him to cry with me. I need him to look me in the eye, I need him to sit down first. And I needed him to preface it with softener. Yes. <laughs> you know? like you know? we, we did our best. Your son yes. was a fight was fighting, but yes, just, Something. Just something basic and look me in the eye and say, I'm very, very sorry, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, which was my name at the time. Yeah. But Jansen's not going to make it. And and how would you like us to? It didn't. It was just going to be a few more seconds of his time. 
and some a, a compassionate tone of voice. So even I told them, even if you have to fake that, this please learn that skill because it's going to change the experience for all these families. So knowing that my son's story would carry forward with these people and then however many lives they've now touched, my son would be 28 now. I mean, I that's where I'm like, I find joy. Yeah. I just enjoy in that. And, and it takes time to be able to do that too, yes. right? Because yes. grief is going to take as long as grief takes. That's one thing right. I finally had to come to terms with. It's, you know, just going to be what it's going to be. Um, and yet meaning comes out of it. And we all have, you know, these grief moments. I'm, I'm, I want you to tell the story of grits because I think uh, most of my listeners are, are women and they're probably going to really relate to this story as well. Uh, and then we'll shift over and, and talk about how they can get the book and about the work that you do. How's that? Sounds great. All right. So um, tell us about grits. The gift of grits. Okay. I'm an Alabama girl. <laughs> I, I, so I grew up eating grits for breakfast. So grits are, are, they're the, when you grind corn down to the bare, like whatever, it's what's left on the floor. It's just this tiny, tiny little, little kernel. But when you leave it in hot water, when you boil it in hot water, it plumps back up. And so the story of the gift of grits is about me finding the courage to leave my marriage. And my marriage was, was, emotionally abusive and I had stayed out of fear. And I think a lot of people can relate to tolerating and coping with things out of fear and struggling to find the courage to make a change that you know you need to make. Um, but there, whether it's fear of finances, fear of, of, of just the unknown or whatever it may be, sometimes we let ourselves get stuck in a circumstance or situation because of fear of change. Um, I was fearful of all that, but also literally fearful of my husband, who was, I, I'm five foot three if I stretch, and he was six foot four, and you know, all of these. But there was, a, I feel like all change happens when we're, when opportunity crosses our path and we're ready, right? It's like ready to jump. And I, and I talk about, I felt like I would, had been standing on the high dive, you know, fearful scared to jump. I'm scared of heights, literally. It's why I, I use this metaphor. And I was, and I know the feeling of standing on a high dive and you, you want to jump, but you're scared to jump and they won't let you come back down the ladder. <laughs> so you, <laughs> you know, what do you do? Jump. Jump. Well, there was this moment in time. Uh, and I, and I share the story of my then 22 month old, just saying while his dad's yelling and screaming at me, and I'm kind of almost numb at this point of this kind of thing, but I had been building myself since the death of my first son, building myself to get to that ready point. And in that moment, this little 22 month old says, no, dad, I know. And mama, dad, I bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that where opportunity and ready collided. And I jumped, I dove off that diving board, whatever, you know, and I just did it. And, it was, you know, exhilarating and, and, and frightening all at the same time put together, but I did it. And I, and I came back up and it's like, I, I, you know, I was breathing for the first time. My lungs just filled with air and I was like, that's it. And I told him he had to leave and he laughed at me. You know, this was not going to be an easy change, but it was a necessary change. And it, um, 
and it, it still took a while to, to kind of. Oh, no doubt. Because that, you know, that's a, you're in a process there of breaking free. I mean, you, you made that first step and that was the important thing for everybody. It, it, no matter what it is in your life, you ha- it starts somewhere. It starts somewhere. And anyway, so grit, grits, you know, courage isn't doing something without fear. It's doing something in spite of fear. And uh, I feel like I was, I felt like grits. I was in hot water long enough. I finally plumped up and, (laughs) and and refound, you know, sort of my natural substance, so to speak. Right. And your little 22 month old just kind of gave you that little shove. Yes. Yes. Pushed you off the diving board, (laughs) pushed you off the high dive. He's a Leo, Janet. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course he is. Of course he is. That's fun. Um, you know, your work that you do, I mean, you, you weren't specifically set out to be an author. I mean, you were actually working for, was it Delta Airlines? And you were, you moved your way up into the different jobs within the airline. And then you became mom and stayed home with mom when dad's work took you to Montreal. Yeah. Uh, but what do you do now? So now I'm a, a life and relationship and leadership coach. I, I did know since 17 that I wanted to write a book. I just always thought it'd be a novel. Oh, oh like the great American novel. novel. Yeah. Part, parts of novels are written everywhere. And I'm and one day I will do that. I, I, I'm sure I will. But my path did lead me differently. But when I look back since childhood, I, you know, in those little yearbooks, you put what you want to be when you grow up. It was consistently teacher, teacher, nurse, teacher, stewardess. <laughs> don't, know, don't know how I knew what one was. I didn't fly until I was well in my 20s. All these different things. But I also was always known as a good listener. That's in my high school yearbook. Somebody wrote that. And, and you know, so they give out the those awards or whatever. Yeah. I, would, I would have been. Most oh, likely to succeed. Most likely to. Yeah. Most likely. I was the best listener. So. Somehow, you know, my path was formed and I teach in a different way. So I lead workshops and I lead personal development and I, you know, now I'm turning towards online courses and to create those. But what happened was when I went through my own divorce, I went through a a support group Mm -hmm. as a participant. But as soon as that group ended, the leaders tapped me to take over. So this started in the community and it's because they saw my skill set because at the airline I had gone into training and facilitation and they thought I had the skill set and, and myself and another gentleman in the group. And so I started serving community in that way, 25 years um, or so ago. Mm -hmm. And from there, people wanted one-on-one time and they wanted more of me. And I thought, "Hmm, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure I know how to do that, or I don't feel qualified to do that. And I uh, eventually, after I gave up my career, as we were talking about in the gift of Jomo to advance my husband's and we moved to Montreal and I had the gift of Jomo to stay home and with my kids. And I began doing this in the community again, but also personal development for adults and all of that. I, uh, the one-on-one thing kept coming up, kept coming up. People, I was meeting people for lunch and coffee. And eventually I said, okay, how can I feel qualified? How can I do certified? So I looked at psychology. Coaching was a thing. So I went and got my fitness certification. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to call it. I just still can't. I was, okay, I don't know. So I had a midlife awakening. Did that four years after the fitness thing. I said, okay, um, let me do this. So I went and got coaching certified. 
And I've been doing this the last seven years or so officially, but I realize I've been doing it my whole life. Right, right. And, and even so that I run into this all the time, too, because I knew when I was a kid, I was going to be a teacher. And Mm -hmm. then I look at the things I do now. And I'm like, you know, I really still I am a teacher. I'm not teaching in the way that I thought I was going to be. I was going to teach fourth grade. I mean, that was my preferred age group. Uh, So I'm not teaching fourth grade. But you know, you find that the things that you always loved that were near and dear to your heart are the things that you're doing, but maybe just in a little bit different way. That's exact. That's why I said when you were cheerleading me before, (laughs) you know, they're there. They're there. Absolutely. Right. We don't we don't really lose anything. It's still there. Our hearts were so wide open at that point in our lives. Um, So I I just remembered something else that I had wanted to talk to you about. And now I can't remember which one it was in, uh, which story it was in, but it was about the I am. Oh, yes. That's the last story. The gift of beautiful. So it's about yeah, being beautiful. beautiful, beautiful. That is about my current husband, <laughs> <laughs> second husband, last husband. Let's just put that out there. Uh, <laughs> Greek, right? He's the Greek one, right? That's the Greek one. Yes. So this is about being true to yourself, but you got to know who you are to be true to you, right? Yes. And, and if I'd been known who I was, really been clear on that back in my university days, maybe it'd been easier to be true to me and not betray myself. But what I found um, was in my second marriage, you know, I was very specific. Here I was a single mom. I was not going to let someone in my life very readily. We talked about trust, you know, after you've had betrayals and trust broken, which so happened in my second marriage. And just to say, you know, that second marriage came about because there was a hole in me from those initial betrayals. And I recognize, you know, how I made that choice to marry the second person. I take full responsibility for that because I was needy. And while I don't take responsibility for his choices, but take responsibility for um, allowing someone in my life to build me up because that's what he did in the beginning before he broke me down. And I, that felt good. Therefore it felt like love and something that I had lost in those betrayals years prior. So just to say that I recognized this journey I was on and, and how I ended up where I was. Yeah. All these were kind of detours on my uh, original kind of path. But when I did remarry the second time, I was very, you know, making sure our values were aligned and they were, he was Greek. I was, you know, the Alabama, but, but <laughs> core values and, and all were all right there. We were equally yoked as they would say, mm-hmm. but in our marriage, I realized there was a value that was missing, which was on time. <laughs> which you and I laughed about earlier. Who knew that time was such a, a big value, but it is. And having worked for an airline for 17 years, I mean, when I went for my interview, Back in the 80s, they were hiring like 100 flight attendants, uh, I think, a week at the time because they were growing so greatly. So it was competitive. Oh, no, they were hiring one out of your, out of your 100 applicants. That was, the, that was the number. And when I went in for my interview, if you weren't, I don't remember if it's 10 or 15 minutes early, that's how they weeded you out to start. Well, oh, my I- goodness early, early, because that was anyway. So I made the first cut right there. And a lot of (laughs) 
because on time, right behind safety, on time was was their second highest priority. So they wanted you to know right then because it was such an independent thing to have to show up on time. And so my dad had always taught me, um, if you're not early, you are late. So I had that value instilled in me. Well, I found with my husband, while we had all these big values that are usually the darker values in common, he always got in the shower at the time we're supposed to leave. <laughs> Still does seen it. Okay. But we were, we were at a, a wedding and I, what I found myself, I was letting these things build up and create a, a barrier in our relationship. Yeah. It's, and and this is what happens. And I do work with a lot of, uh, I said, I'm a relationship coach. So I work with a lot of conflicts. Sometimes it's grieving the loss, but sometimes People are trying to save their relationship. And what I see are a lot of the little things that build up and create mountains or great chasms in relationships. Sometimes it's these kind of things, right? Yes. We're at a wedding and dang it, he's taking a nap and he's setting the clock to get up. And I'm like, we need to leave before that. And he's like, and I, I find myself like pacing like a lioness in a cage, like, and letting myself get frustrated, my energy dropping into that do loop, either victimized by his choice to be Mediterranean, you know, we show up whenever we show up, or right, right, <laughs> me feel, exactly. So at this particular time, I just let him sleep, and I got on the hotel van and I went on to the wedding on time, and he shows up at the reception looking like the groom left at the altar, and he was like. But, you know, we both learned a lesson from that. I learned to stay in peace. I have to be true to me. I have to know who I am and be true to me. He's learned since to step it up a bit, you know, for things that are important and things that are important for me. Yeah, and yeah. I've learned to relax a bit at things that aren't so important. So we can be late to the movies. You know, I don't have to see the previews. You know, I don't like sitting with my neck crane, but, you know, I don't have right. to we've learned to compromise and the things that are, aren't so, so big, but we've also learned to, to meet here. And right. I've also set the clock up a bit. <laughs> yeah. That's always a good one. But uh, what I like about the whole I idea of this is that you didn't have to make him wrong no, in order to, to be yes. uh, right kind of thing, which is a lot of the, the conflicts that we have in relationships. It's you're wrong. I'm right. That's right. Exactly. Being on time is right. Being late is wrong. Um, but it's, instead, you just took responsibility, response, ability for yourself it. and said, that's OK, right. well, I'm going to leave and go on when you get up. I'm sure you'll figure out where I am and find that's me and allow him to be himself. And so All that's right. exactly right. Rather than have to make yourself right and him wrong or vice versa, it was about be responsible and true to you. And allow him the same. And but that allow that also then allows people to uh, reap their own consequences. Right. So if you miss the wedding, it, then that's okay. That's if that's okay with him, then that's okay. Now we could talk about, you know, this is very important to me. I'd like us to be there together, but I'm not gonna force it. That force thing, that's when you feel trapped. That's when you feel in case. That's when you get angry and go into those catabolic kind of places. And no. So decide yeah. what the deal breakers are in advance. Decide <laughs> what the are in advance and save yourself a lot of angst, you know. Comes down to communication, really. 
It does. It you know, does. Being able to say, look, this is important to me. I hope you will join me on time. That's right. Yeah. And because uh, don't sweat the small stuff. I was taking it as disrespect personally, yeah. and it wasn't a personal disrespect once we were able to communicate about it and, and see it because he did want to be there with me. He just thought he didn't have to be there before the bride walked down the aisle. <laughs> I'm like, what sign is your husband? He's a Scorpio. Oh, oh, a Scorpio and a Capricorn. Love it. Um, so let's talk about working. You have a free gift for the audience today. And I'm going to actually put the link up to that for everybody. Tell us about the free gift. So it's a mini course and I call it soul CPR because what I find is when we kind of lose ourselves uh, in our circumstances, whatever it may be, that we need to revive our life a little bit. And, and the, the CPR acronym is connect the dots. You kind of have to look back. I think if we, if we'll kind of align with our truth, we have to kind of look back and see how we ended up where we're at. And then we need to kind of pinpoint the pain. So that's the P, pinpoint the pain of the emotion that we're stuck in. Because managing emotions and really learning that is true self-mastery. So what emotion are we stuck in that maybe whatever happened, you know, those detours that happened in life that got us to where we're at, what's the pain? And then recover the truth of who we are. That's the knowing who we are that I'm talking about in the gift of beautiful. Know who you are. Where have you given up? Where did you uh, maybe give yourself away or relinquish your truth and recover that? And that's how you really revive your life. And so I think there's power in pausing, reflecting, and that's part of the gift of shift by doing those chapters and giving everyone a place to reflect on those different themes and then kind of rewrite their own story it gives you that chance to, to reflect. So the Soul CPR mini course is that as well. You're going to kind of life map a little bit, kind of get in touch with some emotion that might be stuck and then get back in touch with who you are so you can move forward in a different way. Right. And because this is going to be a podcast at some point here later today, I'm going to read the, the uh, website for the free gift. And that is HTTPS colon slash slash skyviewcoaching.com forward slash soul hyphen CPR hyphen free hyphen gift. I'm guessing if they just go to skyviewcoaching.com, will they be able to find the gift? I don't think so. It's, it's okay. not to show up. So they'll need the, the soul hyphen CPR hyphen. They'll need the whole thing. Okay. So what I will do for everybody is post it in the description of the video if you're watching on YouTube, or I will put it in the, the uh, Facebook uh, feed. So everybody will be able to get that. Uh, what's your next book going to be about, Anne? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. You said I you were going to write another one. I am, you know, I've been working on a sort of a divorce guidebook because uh, oh. people know how to divorce. That's a process, right? But they don't know how to break up. That's the emotion. Yes. So I'm working on that uh, because I've been asked to do that for so long from, from people. But I also am working on a book that's, I, I think, a greater collection of, of my, my life stories because there's so much there. But it's going to be called, I think you might like this one. The universe is my travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. 
<laughs> oh, the universe yes. is my travel agent. I yes. love it. Yeah, yeah. Have I, you already started writing that one? I have. It's just, it's really taking my life stories, maybe a little bit lighter look, but also looking at how my path did not, uh, it's not a linear path, right? It is. No. And, but you know, I'm somebody who had a happy childhood and a lot of people I meet who've had a lot of emotional trauma and are looking to recover from it. It started early in childhood and I, mine really didn't. I mean, I can tell you the first time I didn't, uh, I feel good enough. And that did happen in childhood, but I seemed to have a, a great, greater resiliency then and, and a drive to prove them wrong or something. But my, my Capricorn brain, determination. <laughs> I think I'm that sea goat though. Cause I love the water. I was a competitive swimmer and like all that stuff, but. And you, yeah, and you were afraid of the, the high dive. I was afraid of the heights. You know, what's that? That air there. I'm air is not my sign. <laughs> Definitely. And yet I was a flight. Air. I bet I was a flight. Okay. There's psychoanalyze me. I don't know. My astro profile must be all kind of mixed up, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, someday we can talk about that. We can bring, bring you back on and psychoanalyze you through astrology and human design astrology, which is another one. Because my mind was already working. Oh, yeah, she must have a defined Ajna. Oh, yeah, she must have an open throat. Oh, yeah. Please Funny. do. I would love I would love that opportunity. I'll do that for you. Yeah. Uh, so for everybody, the book is The Gift of Shift. Let me see if I can bring it in close enough here. Uh, discover the key within to unlock your best life. Herein lies a little bit of a, um, a key, if you will, to the whole thing, which is that what? Because oh, the power is in us and up to us. That's right. I love it. Uh, the gift of shift is available through all the typical book places, uh, right? Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, Book Hub. All, or book, what is that one called? Uh, all those places, or is there more? Um, all the all the online booksellers, but you can also, if you want to support your local bookstore, they can order it from their Ingram Sparks catalog. So wherever you want nice. to get. Any final thoughts to leave with the audience this morning? I just, I, I just, I would encourage you to look and see what has a grip on your heart, what story has a grip on your heart, and see um, if you if you're stuck in it somehow and really challenge it so you can move through it. And sometimes it's the story that's not yet written. So what's holding you back? And just, I just notice, it. notice your life. Notice it. That's so important right now in astrological terms right now, all the planets are in, in forward motion, which means that we can move through this stuff at lightning speed. I don't even think I wrote one word in this yesterday, but I feel like I moved through quite a bit with lightning speed. The book, Gift of Shift, well worth the read and doing the work. And thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been a pleasure. Thank all of you for listening to us today. And I look forward to seeing you all again on Friday. I will have Pia and Colin with me. It's our monthly meetup with the Pleiadian Earth Astrology. I'll see you then. Bye for now. Bye, Anne. Bye, Janet. Thank you. You're welcome.